invited to join with me in reading the litany of invitation and confession in your order of service. We come to celebrate Epiphany and the many ways that God is present in our lives. We come to remember that Christ came as a baby. We remember that Jesus was born in a stable. He brought hope to the poor and marginalized. Angels sang of his birth, shepherds came to visit him, and the Magi followed a star to find him. The God of Advent has waited with us. The child of Christmas has come to us. The spirit of Epiphany surrounds us with mystery. However, we confess our impatience with God and God's people and ourselves. Sisters and brothers, though we lack patience, God does not. God has forgiven us and gives us stamina as we prepare for the road ahead. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. On a holiday weekend, you never know who is going to be coming for worship, but I knew that you would be. And God is here, we are here, and that's a plenty. So welcome to the worship of God, and by the way, Merry Christmas. It is still Christmas, you know, there are 12 days to Christmas, and so as we continue with the celebration of the Christmas season and having the Christ candle lighted, which we did on Christmas Eve, then we are here to continue the, the celebration. Also, all of the worship service will be happening from down here on the nave floor, as it did last week. Wasn't last Sunday morning a uniquely focused, intimate holy time. It was like we had gathered in the, uh, around the fireplace or the breakfast room rather than the formal dining room. We had gathered to open the book, to hear the word, to sing the songs, and to be God's people. We gather here today for the same reasons. Now, it's Epiphany Sunday. We celebrate the arrival of the Magi, the wise men, and so the text will echo that. Uh, Reverend Daniel Hedrick, the associate pastor here, will be preaching today and bringing word from those texts. So if you're from out of town or if you um, are a guest today, know that uh, you are welcome in this place. Complete uh, the response card at the edge of your order of service. Drop it in the plate and it'll help me connect name and face uh, with you today. Also, if there's a prayer request, our deacons pray and our staff prays for you every week by name and by need. So if you have something or someone to pray about, place that on the card too and drop it in the offering plate when it's passed. We open our hearts now as we hear from the first word read. It comes from the book of Isaiah, a book that's important to the Christmas story and the incarnation story in the Christian tradition especially. He references the hope of God's people, the light that comes. And even listen in this text, there's a reference from about camels coming from the east and persons bringing gold and frankincense. Perhaps one of the texts that Matthew used in his telling of the Epiphany and Christmas story. Let us open our hearts as we hear these words read. The promise of a new day and the theology of abundance. A reading from the book of Isaiah. Arise, shine, 
for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and a thick darkness shall cover the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They will all gather together and come to you. Your sons shall come from far away. Your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. And then you will see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Here ends the first lesson. Let us now say our prayers. All loving God, once again we stand today on a threshold, a threshold between times. At this place, we are grateful. It turns out that the old song says it right, "'Tis grace hath brought us safe thus far." Forgive us, O Lord, that we are surprised about that, your grace, and forget it. After all, we've been through a lot this year, and yet there's more to be grateful for than to grieve. This year there have been babies born, wedding aisles walked, courageous choices made and lived into. We've even had an eclipse which crossed the sky and reminded us of a transcendence that is grander than our small imaginations, one that is bigger than our big mess-ups. We are grateful. We are glad. But also, there have been burials, burials of lifelong friends and families. There have been fires and earthquakes and hurricanes, There's been gun violence all the way from Las Vegas to southwest Texas, and wars and rumors of wars, and we are sad. We've spent a lot of time this year struggling to understand the world that has come to be, and we confess that we we have created this world in our own image. We've chagrined and sighed. We've ranted and raved. And we prayed. We found good company among the psalmists, O God. They leaned into all the emotions and then finally collapsed into the question, How long, O Lord, how long? Perhaps our best prayer is to remember that against all odds, it is still Christmas, where a newborn's fragility meets the world's cruelty and bespeaks of God's vulnerable sovereignty. May we, like those of old, enter spiritual quests ahead, and may we find epiphanies to share with other searchers. Let us follow the Magi's lead and the psalmist's example to pause in reverence, to bring what we have, and to stay students of prayer. So... Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us as Jesus taught his disciples, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A message that all are invited to be in God's family. A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a child, and if a child, also an heir through God. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. I am so glad that you're all here today. Well, I want to tell you a story. When I was a little girl, well, not too little, I was a teenager, I was in youth group, and my youth minister's name was Mr. Mike. And one day we were talking, and he said, Anna Kate, I think you're going to be a minister. And I said, no, there's no way. I wanted to be like a psychologist or a counselor. I didn't want to be a minister. It was like he had on these special glasses, and he could see something in me that I couldn't see. Do you think that there are people in your lives that see things in you that you might not be able to see yet? Probably. Like your parents, maybe? Or teachers, or Sunday school teachers. There are lots of people in our lives that see things in us that we might not be able to see yet. And look at me. I'm a minister, just like Mike told me. Well, there's a story in the Bible about Jesus. And when Jesus was a little kid, his parents took him to the church to be blessed. And there was a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna that were there. God sent them there to meet Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, they knew, even though he was a young child, that he was going to change the world. That he was the one that God had sent to take care of everyone. They had on their glasses. They could see this in Jesus, even though Jesus probably couldn't see it then. And we can think about it that way, too. There are things in us that we might not be able to see yet, but... If we listen to the people around us who see things in us, we might be able to find out what those things are in us. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all of the people in our lives that see the gifts in us that we might not be able to see. We love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
You could have been many different places this morning, but you are here because of an appointment to come and be in the presence of God. Perhaps the wise men had a similar appointment. We read today from Matthew chapter 2, the gospel according to Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Now when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called for the wise men, learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared, and then he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star, the one that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, They were overwhelmed with joy. And they entered the house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's December 31st. It's that time of year again when we do the same things we do every year. We make those resolutions, you know, just a few hours left to do that before the new year. And I I do the same thing every year. I started reflecting back on my patterns in years past. There is a a pattern. It was told to me by one of my children. I said, this year I'm going to get in shape. Mary Frances said, Daddy, you say that every year. Every year. I've got a pair of jeans in the closet that sit back a little bit out of view. You know, some of you may have that. I haven't been able to wear those jeans in a few years, and I'm thinking, I'm going to hang on to those because one day I'll be able to wear those jeans. It's like there's something about the new year that's magical in our imagination. You know, it's just the amount of time it takes for the earth to make one orbit. That's all it is around the sun, just one orbit. And we think something magical will happen in just a few hours. We watch that ball drop, we stay up late, and that this year is going to be different. This year, I'm going to do this and that, and I'm going to have power to do it. We think we can understand time and control time. And Paul says in the epistle he wrote to the church at Galatia, we know as the letter to the Galatians. He said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. In the fullness of time. You know, Ecclesiastes, the author says, there's a season, you've heard that, a time to be born and a time to die. And I think we spend most of our lives trying to figure out time to domesticate it, to, to control it, to, to manage it. And the truth is, we, we can't control time. <laughs> we barely understand it. I don't understand time. I've, I've tried to understand time from a scientific point of view. 
I've even spoken to Dr. Jim Mahaffey about it, asked him. I've asked other physicists, explain time to me. And when they explain it, I, I get it for a few seconds. And then if you ask me later, what did they tell you? I, I couldn't tell you. I can't understand time. I mean, Einstein teaches us something called the theory of relativity. And apparently it means that if you went on a spaceship journey six months out into space on a rocket ship that was traveling the speed of light, just imagine that, the speed of light for six months, then you turn and come back home. Well, all the clocks on the spaceship would register that you had just aged a year. You would have, in fact, aged a year. The clock would say one year had passed. But when you came back to Earth, 7,000 years would have passed for everybody else. Now, you try to explain that to me. I don't, I don't understand time. We don't understand time, but here Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent his Son. In the fullness of time. Well, Paul also wrote to the Romans one time, he said, when we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. Apparently, God knows when it was time to be born and when it was time to die. But we struggle to understand it, and we can. Einstein had a friend named Michelle Besso, and Michelle died. So he wrote what I suppose he thought would be a letter of condolence to Michelle's widow. And in the letter, he said, it's no matter that Michelle preceded me in death, because for us physicists, the distinction between the past and the present and the future is an illusion. He was never called to be a pastor anywhere, you know. It doesn't matter. It's just an illusion. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son. I wonder if anybody knew that at the time. You think anybody knew that of all the characters in the story? We heard some of them this morning read out loud to us. Think about Joseph and Mary for a moment. They had to have angelic visitations, each of them, so that they would know it was the fullness of time. They were betrothed to be married. Betrothed. That's a fancy word. You can't, you can't wiggle out of being betrothed. Not with a word that fancy. You, you can't say, I don't like the ring. I've got cold feet on the way to the altar. You've got to go to court and sue for a divorce if you want to get out of a betrothal. And what if things happen that are out of sequence in time during the betrothal? Well, the Bible tells us that Mary was found to be with child. The passive voice. She was found to be with child. Imagine trying to explain that. Joseph goes to his parents and, and says, I found this nice Palestinian girl, Mary. We're going to get married. And she's pregnant. And Joseph's daddy says, how'd that happen? And he said, well, we found her that way. We found her that way. Th things have been out of sequence, it seems, in the gospel story. Time is not as it should be. And yet, it was the fullness of time. They had to have an angelic visitation, both of them, to figure out that it was the fullness of time. Do you know what the Gospels tell us about, about Joseph? He found out that during this period of betrothal that his bride-to-be was expecting a baby. And it says that he planned to dismiss her quietly. Don't want to make a big fuss out of it. Don't want a big scandal. We'll just dismiss her quietly. And an angel had to show up and tell Joseph that, in fact, this child was of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph determined in his own person, he determined in himself at that moment, that he would adopt that child. You ever thought about that? He adopted the baby. Amazing. He could have dismissed her quietly. He would never hear about it again, but he decided, I'll adopt 
this child. And think about the other characters in the story. Was it the fullness of time for them? Herod, we heard about Herod, who very facetiously sends the Magi out so that he might pay homage to the baby, right? Does anybody believe that? That's what he was going to do? Was it the fullness of time for him? It had been prophesied that the king of the Jews was to be born. And here there was Herod the Great. Herod the Great. He thought so highly of himself. He was called Herod the Great. Wanted to make Judea great again, he said. And all these plans he had didn't involve having a child that was going to be called king. Because if you had asked people who was king around there, they would have said, well, we've got one king, and that's Caesar. And then if you keep going, going down the pecking order, there's this guy named Herod the Great. Okay, we don't have room for a baby. You don't have room for a child. It wasn't the fullness of time for a king, another king, to be born. And yet, there you have it. The baby was born. And Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and this church is apparently like every other church that's ever existed, experiencing some conflict. And they're having some debates about what it means to be part of God's family. Do we have to be circumcised? Do we have to eat certain food? You know, Paul saw that wherever he went. At the church at Corinth, some were saying, you know, I am of Apollos, and I am of Paul, and uh, some even said, I am of Christ. And they're always fighting about who gets to be part of God's family. You notice that? It's in the Bible, and it's here with us today. And I imagine when the person who had received the letter from Paul is reading Paul's words out, out loud, and they read, When the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. I think they probably stopped the reading and they said, wait a second, I'm on board with everything else, but that we might all receive adoption, we might all be part of God's family, and they might have gestured up to somebody in the balcony and said, that guy, Rufus, uh, Hermes, Patrobus over there, they're part of God's family too? I mean, have you even hung out with those people? And Paul says that Jesus came in order that we might receive adoption as God's children. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter your, per your past, doesn't matter your worthiness, you are part of God's family. And we just gloss right over it when we read it. That's, that's the most revolutionary message anyone can imagine, it seems to me. Just gloss over it. I used to practice adoption law in Tennessee as part of my pro bono practice. And I did it because it made me feel better about the other things that I was doing for money. Thanks for laughing. I can't explain to you what that's like. I really can't. Imagine you go into the, the judge's chambers, the sanctum sanctorum, behind the courtroom, and there you are, and you've got all your paperwork filled out. Everything's where it needs to be. The notary seal is perfect. All the papers comply with the applicable statutes. There's the little girl dressed in her Sunday finest. There are the parents dressed in their Sunday finest, beaming from ear to ear. They've got their camera. Can we take a picture with the judge? You can get in it too, lawyer, if you want. There they are. I can't explain the power. When the judge takes the pen and signs the order of adoption, because just like that, at that moment, the child in the eyes of the law becomes part of the family. You know, that child on the way in wasn't, in the eyes of the law, any part of that family. They just had maybe temporary legal custody over the child, but as soon as the judge signs the order, everything had changed in an instant. And it was the only day really in law practice where you, you could say at the end of the day, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Because 
a child has been added to the family of God. And you know, there, there are something like 11,000 foster children in this state. I don't know how many there are nationwide, worldwide. It would blow all of our minds. 11,000 children in this state. You can go on a website and you can see the pictures of the children who are seeking to be adopted. And some of them have videos. You can click on them. See, here, here's Abraham. He's 14 years old. He likes to play video games. He's looking for a family to adopt him. Uh, here's Diana. She's 11 years old. Diana says, get this, Diana says she wants to go to Harvard Law School. She wants to go to Harvard. And, and she's looking for family to adopt her. Since the beginning of time, there have been children seeking adoption, and there are never enough families. Never enough. And is there room in the church for God's children? Is there room for God's children? When all of these children are seeking adoption... I think we have a revolutionary message that we gloss over, that we keep close to us. I think really we should be screaming the text from Galatians from the rooftops, seeking different forum in which to say this. Because the message is that all people are worthy of adoption into God's family now. And we keep trying to mess that up, don't we? The world keeps messing it up. They're not ready for that. They say, wait, have a little patience. You know, back in the 1960s, in this country, during the Civil Rights era, African Americans tried to come to white churches to worship. And they were met outside the church, usually by deacons or elders who'd form like a human chain, and they wouldn't let them come in. That was called the color bar because people of color were barred from entry into the church. Not enough room for God's family, for God's children in this family, is what they said. And I read recently there, there was a woman who was attending her mother's funeral at her mother's church, and she came forward for communion and, and held out her hands for the communion wafer. And the priest leaned over and said, I can't serve you. You live with another woman. Imagine what damage that does to the children of God. To tell them that they're not welcome in God's house. And yet people hear that all the time. I know, I've read an amazing biography of Alexander Hamilton recently. And Hamilton, he did a lot of bad things, and he did a lot of good things, just a human being like anyone else. And at the end of his life, he got in this duel. Do you know how he died? Vice President of the United States shot him in a duel. <laughs> and on his deathbed, Hamilton, he had one last dying wish, and it was that he received Holy Communion. And he sent out word for his priest. His priest came and said, well, you know, Alexander, we don't believe in duels. That's wrong. So we can't give you communion. And so Hamilton sent out again. He went to another denomination. Just tried him one in a row. The second pastor comes and says, well, I'm sorry. I understand you really want this. I can't give you communion because... We don't celebrate communion privately outside of the, the church service. And he had to beg for communion. And finally, the pastor relented and gave him communion. It was like he was saying, I've done some wrong, but, but is there still room for me to be part of God's family today? And he had to beg to be part of God's family. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. 
We don't have to beg to be part of God's family. We don't have to hire a lawyer. We don't have to pay the adoption petition fee. We don't have to comply with all of the statutes. We just have to reach out and accept the invitation that is open to us all. Reach out to Jesus. And the Spirit of God comes upon us. That intimate moment. He says in whatever language works for you. Paul lived in a time, a patriarchal time, when they understood Abba to be the most intimate word. Whatever that is for you, the Spirit will say it at that moment. Abba, whatever that is. Why did God become born? Why was it the fullness of time? I think God had a desire to know what it was like to feel estrangement, to feel the possibility of rupture and alienation. He had heard all his creation cry out as children. They were separated from their parents in war and famine, substance abuse, disease, disorder, depression. God wanted to know what it was like to be human. And so human beings adopted God. He was adopted. Born of a woman under the law, just like you and I. But Joseph adopted him, and he knew what it was like to feel a human touch, to feel the caress of his mother, the voice, to hear the voice of his father. And he had to know then what it was like to feel alienation, to feel pain, betrayal, and death. And having experienced the full range of what it meant to be human, Having become an adopted human, God looked out at all of creation, every single person, just as I look out at you, every one of you, and he said, you're my child now. You're all my children now. Can you imagine what it would be like to live today as if that were true? It is our tradition that when a word is spoken, an invitation to dedication is given to respond to that word, to that calling that we've heard. Thank you, Daniel, for reminding us uh, that whatever the most basic element of being human is, it's about belonging. And we can't become who God wants us to be without belonging as a part of uh, the family of God. I'm glad that it's been in the DNA of our church ever since Louise Davis founded it 65 years ago to be a place of welcome for all people and blessing for all people. It's a a love of God that's deep and broad. We sing that hymn. It is number 193. And we will sing the first, second, third stanzas, and then we will skip to the sixth stanza. Let us stand together and sing.
Whenever a family gathers around the table, like your families have had this week of uh, holy days and holidays, there's always news to share around the table. Some of the news is in the pinnacle that uh, was emailed to you this week and also is available in hard copy out in the narthex. Uh, it tells us some of uh, the, the news of what is happening among us in our belonging. Some of you get the email that's sent out from the church that uh, Daniel had sent out this week that has pictures from last Sunday of all the children in the uh, festive times when we had like the four o'clock uh, children's pickup Christmas play. Also, it had Garrett Ray uh, drawing the triptych of images while I was preaching the sermon. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, uh, visual imagery of who we are and who we are becoming. So turn aside and see this great sight. Um, some of you are guests from far away, and uh, Posey Starkey told me this morning he was going to have two guests, Dr. Harry Eskew, who taught music at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for many years. And it was from New Orleans that I received my doctor of ministry uh, years ago. And uh, Dr. Eskew, glad you're here, and good to you that you have a friend in, uh, in uh, Posey. Uh, Dr. Fisher Humphreys was my chair of my committee and also my kinsman redeemer when they tried to kick me out. He was, he was my advocate, so uh, good to, to see you. And also Dr. Margaret Eskew is here, a professor of English at Mercer University in Macon. And also Posey says that you chair a committee for the abolition of the death penalty in Georgia. Is that right? Okay, worked with that committee. Still active a little bit with that committee? Sister Helen Prejean, another good Louisianian. Uh, well, I want to talk with you about that uh, after the service. So, so I want to see you in the, you in the principal's office. Uh, we've got more conversation. That uh, is a wonderful ministry. Talk about a ministry of uh, belonging. Uh, well, as we are a praying congregation, our prayers go all the way from the fires of New York City and their tragedy to those on the West Coast in California to among us who go through these holidays that are difficult for some families because there have been losses this year. But also we pray uh, for uh, those among us. One that I want to mention is that we pray for uh, Wilton Looney today. I was with Sylvia, and we were visiting uh, with Wilton yesterday. Uh, some of you may not know, he is now on hospice, though he's at home. The hospice nurses and docs will be visiting him there. But he's made the choice to go on hospice Atlanta and uh, is still quite the storyteller and still quite the person with good humor, though good days and bad days are kind of mixed together. Anyway, this is a new part of Wilton's journey. He expressed his appreciation for us being church to him, and I sure expressed our appreciation with him being church to us. So, Sylvia and Bruce, we pray for you and your family. We pray for your dad, Wilton, and we pray for one another as we, uh, as we tend to him and tend to each other. One of the gifts that God has given us that we noticed last Sunday was the gift of a voice. That would be Keith Walker. And the voice of the pipe organ, played by Jeff McConaughey, they wed their voices today to talk about the wondering and the wandering of this season, and also how that leads to the mystery of Christmas. This time we open our ears again, but also we receive these tithes and offerings.
All-loving God, we come as wanderers and wanderers today, gathered into the family of God by grace alone. May that grace that has gotten us saved thus far in 2017 see us on into this new year. May your grace invigorate us and inspire us. May these tithes and offerings that we give be gifts to the realm of God to be used in ministry. May this news that is so life-changing be carried into the world by our lives and voices, that we be encouraged to go tell it on the mountain, for Jesus Christ is born. Amen. May the God who became a little child so that we might all become children of God send you out this day in this new year with fresh childlike vision to see every person in the view of your vision, every person that you meet as a child of God. Amen.